The judge will soon decide if the defense in the Brian Koberger case gets what they want. Jesse Smollett loses his appeal. What does it mean? Another movie actor gets his day in court starting today. The lawyer who shot his wife in the back starts his retrial. And a pastor says it's God's will that they were to be together. Unfortunately, she was 12 years old. Um, quit your job and get arrested. Well, you do if it involves transporting inmates. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. And make sure you hit that little bell for notifications of when we go live or put up new content. All right, we have a big docket for you today and as well a little bonus of my field trip to Casa Bonita. For those who do not know, Casa Bonita is an iconic restaurant that started here in Denver back in 1973. Well, they went broke a couple years ago and then owners from the South Park series bought it. In fact, they even had a special about Casa Bonita when uh, Eric uh, went to uh, Casa Bonita and he had to uh, hide his friend to, to go there. It's, 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 it's hilarious. Anyway, it's back. The wait list to get in is ridiculous. By the time you get your email link, it takes about three or four months, I think, to get in because it's not open. So anyway, it was just fun. I went with my daughter. She came to town with her boyfriend. So the lovely Miss Kristen and I uh, went down there and uh, used our um, we used our, our link or our, uh, our reservations uh, for them. So anyway, that's bonus at the end of it. Let's get to the show. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for December 4th of 2023. All right, so prosecutors in Idaho have submitted the uh, disputed DNA evidence to the court that the stabbing uh, suspect, uh, Brian Koberger, once handed over to him and his attorneys in hopes to obviously try to defend his case and challenge the DNA as it relates to the uh, multiple counts of murder in the first degree as well as burglary for the November 2022 massacre of University of Idaho students. Now, prosecutors say that the police used investigative genetic genealogy, this family genealogy taken from some items that were discarded at Brian Koberger's house. They, they used it from his father. They traced it back to Brian Koberger. And um, then they obtained probable cause affidavit to get Brian Koberger's DNA. And obviously that's a problem for Brian Koberger because his DNA is apparently found on the little button here of a knife sheath from a K-bar. And yes, that's right. Your friendly local criminal defense attorney who just happened to serve in the Marine Corps happened to have a K-bar that he had. And there's that little button. That little button that's actually pretty hard to hit could cause a transfer of DNA. Now, what have we told you a lot about any criminal case? You look at it and say, what piece of evidence needs to disappear to make this case go away? Well, in Brian Koberger's case, the worst piece of evidence is the DNA. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, it was obviously planted by the police. Everybody went into that particular apartment. Okay, all arguments that can be made. All arguments that can be made. However, the criminal defense attorneys know that that DNA is a problem because that sheath, the sheath itself, the little leather piece with the little button, was found underneath one of the victims in the apartment. Huh, how did that get there? 
And remember, although the prosecution just simply says, hey, it's there, that's, we're just giving you the facts, they don't have to explain exactly how it got there. And if the defense can't explain exactly how it got there, it looks bad. So I know a lot of people say, oh, he's been framed, they planted it. But remember, they had the DNA evidence before they knew who Brian Koberger even was. They couldn't get a match in their CODIS system for that. So anyway, the uh, defense wants to have all of the documents that the FBI used to create this DNA family tree, basically, and uh, go from there. Prosecution says, hey, you're not entitled to it. Judge says, I'll take a look at it. I will decide what is relevant and if you get anything. Because remember, just because it's not necessarily admissible doesn't mean that it is not discoverable. There's a big, big difference. And frankly, the court should not get involved too much by saying you're not entitled to this because it becomes an appellate issue. Give it all to them. It may not be relevant. Give it to them. And you never know what a creative criminal defense attorney can do as it relates to that information that the prosecution just doesn't want to turn over. So anyway, the prosecutor submitted a motion saying, Judge, we released all this IgG information and um, anything that we had in within our care, custody, and control, which obviously includes the FBI. So now the fight begins over whether it should be disclosed, and that's been a sticking point with the defense as they demand more information through the discovery process. Now the judge, uh, John Judge, uh, gave uh, Koberger's defense team a minor victory back in October, ordering the prosecution to share that evidence with him for an in-camera review, which is simply a private inspection of the documents by the court to determine if something is relevant. Now, Judge Judge is expected to examine the uh, evidence and decide how much of it, if any, should be shared with the defense. As noted, the state's argument is that the IgG investigation is wholly irrelevant since it was not used in obtaining any warrants and will not be used at trial by the prosecution. And the judge wrote that nonetheless, Koberger is entitled to view at least some of that IgG information in preparing his defense, even if it may ultimately be found to be irrelevant. Good call, judge. That's the way it's supposed to be. Prosecution, once again, playing games, just give it, the, just give it to everything. Give everything you got. Why are you playing games? That's the biggest thing that prosecutors do um, that creates doubt. When they don't turn anything over, uh, they play games, and it looks like they're hiding stuff. Turn it all over. Bottom line. Next on the docket, Jesse Smollett loses his appeal. So what does it mean? It means he may be going back to jail as soon as the uh, court upholds the conviction related to his 2009 hate crime, uh, and this all happened on Friday. So the uh, star was convicted back in 2021 of five felony counts of disorderly conduct related to the alleged racist and homophobic attack uh, that he was determined by a jury to be completely fabricated on his part. And he was sentenced to spend 150 days behind bars. Now, he served just six of the days, but his sentence was stayed when the appeal was pending. Since you lost and the appeal is no longer pending, that's right, Smollett's eventually going to have to go back to jail. Mr. Smollett challenged the role of the special prosecutor, the jury selection process, the weight of the evidence, and uh, several other aspects of the case against him. But the convictions were ultimately upheld two to one in an opinion from the Illinois Appellate Court. Now, Mr. Smollett made headlines back in 2019 when he reported 
to the Chicago police that he was the victim of a homophobic and racist attack by two men wearing ski masks. And I think they were like, had Make America Great Again hats or MAGA hats or something along those lines, which you had to know that was suspect because, well, are there even any Republicans in the city of Chicago? Anyway, anyway, the search uh, for the attackers quickly uh, uh, backpedaled into an investigation into Smollett and resulted in his arrest on charges that he paid two men that he knew from one of his TV series, in this case, uh, Empire, to help him orchestrate this phony incident. Now, lawyers for Smollett claimed that he was the victim of a racist justice system and uh, politicking. One of the appellate judges, Frederina Lyle, said that uh, she would have tossed Smollett's conviction on the grounds that it was fundamentally unfair to appoint a special prosecutor and charge the actor when he had already completed community service as part of the previous deal with the Cook County, with the Cook County prosecutors. Uh, it was common sense that Smollett was uh, bargaining for a complete resolution of the matter, not simply a temporary one, she opined. And the special prosecutor, Dan Webb, however, stated that uh, the ruling was a resounding and profound victory. Having a dissenting voice in the ruling is not uncommon. The decision by the appellate court is final. What happens next is that Mr. Smollett can file a petition to a higher appellate court, in this case, the Illinois Supreme Court, filing a writ of certiorari. And that is purely discretionary uh, for the granting of the writ of certiorari, meaning the court does not have to hear the appeal. And basically, he lost all his legal rights uh, to an appeal with the uh, court's decision uh, last Friday. Now, if the Supreme Court decides to hear the appeal, briefs will be filed and a hearing date will be set. If not, the case will return to the trial court, which will execute on the sentence. Now, uh, Mr. Smollett and his legal team have vowed to keep the fighting um, going ongoing for the movie star. Well, next, a movie star is in court in New York. Now, Jonathan Majors, known for playing a supervillain in the Marvel franchise, will settle uh, into his role as defendant today in New York uh, City, where a jury begins hearing evidence in regards to a domestic assault case where he is the defendant. Now, the actor will appear in Lower Manhattan courtroom as a defendant in the trial where his ex-girlfriend will confront him on charges that he assaulted her during a taxi ride earlier this year. Now, Grace Jabari, a British dancer and movement coach, is alleged or will testify that her ex attacked her when she snatched his cell phone away after reading a text, presumably from another woman, that read, quote, I wish I was kissing you right now. That's according to the prosecutors. The six jurors and two alternates who are going to hear the case will hear a very different narrative um, from not only the opening statements, but as the evidence that's supposed to take place or be presented at court uh, as it relates to the defendant. Apparently, uh, this took place just a few blocks away from the courthouse, and uh, Majors, then a fast-rising star, responded to Jabari, apparently grabbing his phone by yanking her finger, twisting her arm behind her back, hitting her ear, and then picking her up and throwing her back inside the cab after she tried to fall him out of the taxi cab. Now, he was initially charged with choking Jabari, but uh, the prosecutors later dropped the strangulation charge uh, because of a lack of evidence. 
Now, Mr. Majors has uh, pled not guilty to six misdemeanor assault counts and three misdemeanor harassment charges, has maintained that Jabari was the initial aggressor. And in June, three months after his arrest, Majors walked into the NYPD's 10th precinct and provided a detective with evidence that a drunk and hysterical Jabari had grabbed and scratched at his face that night, drawing blood, his lawyers have said in court's uh, filings. And the Majors' attorneys have also released video that they claim sheds doubt on the severity of Jabari's injuries, including some footage of Jabari being twirled by her allegedly broken finger and drinking champagne at a nightclub uh, just hours after this alleged altercation. Miss Jabari is expected to take the stand at some point this week in the uh, criminal court, and whether jurors believe her could decide Mr. Major's fate. This case is really about the credibility of one person, a, a lawyer for uh, Mr. Major's uh, stated. And uh, Jabari was ultimately arrested for her role in the altercation as well after a 10th precinct detective found that there was probable cause that she assaulted Majors, but the DA's office immediately tossed that case for what it called a lack of prosecutorial merit. Well, the judge handling the case, a Judge Michael Gaffey, has ruled that Majors' lawyers will be allowed to cross-examine Jabari about her arrest over objections from the prosecutors. The judge called the circumstances of Jabari's arrest highly unusual and suggested that Majors may have been given special treatment because of his celebrity status. There are individuals who pass through this courtroom every day who are indigent and accused of a crime. I don't believe I've ever witnessed three months later an indigent person requesting the arrest of a complainant, and then the complainant was indeed arrested. Now, during uh, the statement, Gaffey, the judge, said, um, did this only come about because of the high-profile nature of this case, the judge added? And if this was an indigent, everyday New Yorker, would this have happened at all? Well, Major's attorneys uh, have accused the prosecutors of having tunnel vision regarding their client, of targeting him because of his race. Rather than dismiss the false charges against an innocent black man, the people instead have willfully withheld evidence of his innocence and buried evidence proving that his white accuser is lying. So this is a classic domestic violence type of case two people that allegedly loved each other at one time and now simply love to hate each other. What Mr. Majors obviously is aware of is that, well, once you get arrested, guess what? You need to break that relationship off because if they do it to you once, they will do it to you again. That's just one of the uh, Reich Law Firm rules of dating. I guess we should say that's just one of the crime talk rules of dating uh, that you have to keep in mind. This is a swearing contest and we'll see. How many times have you had a case though, all those lawyers out there, where somebody gets accused of DV and they wanna bring up all the previous incidents and yet they walk in and this guy just happens to get the complaining witness, have charges filed against her? That does not happen very often indeed. So uh, we'll continue to follow this case. Um, it sounds like a complete mess like most DV trials are. Next, the retrial of a prominent Atlanta attorney whose murder conviction was overturned begins today. So back in 2018, uh, Claude Tex McIver was convicted on charges relating to the 2016 shooting death of his wife, Diane. Now those charges included felony murder, aggravated assault, influencing a witness, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. 
Now, the murder and weapon charges, however, were overturned by the Georgia Supreme Court back in 2022. So McIver did, in fact, shoot his wife. What is at issue is, well, the intent. So Diane was sitting in the passenger seat of her SUV when she was shot in the back back on September 25th of 2016. Now, McIver's friend, Danny Joe Carter, was driving, and McIver was sitting behind Diane. The three were on their way back to Atlanta after a trip to uh, McIver's Georgia farmhouse. And according to affidavits, when the friend took a different exit to avoid a traffic jam, they realized that, quote, this is kind of a bad area. At the first trial, Salenta Griffin, who served as the chief senior assistant district attorney of Gwinnett County at the time, explained to the jury how McIver asked for the gun. And Diane handed him a revolver that was inside a plastic grocery store bag within the SUV's console. Moments later, McIver fired the gun, hitting Diane in the back. McIver was charged with the involuntary manslaughter two months after the shooting and was later charged with malice murder. The murder conviction was overturned when McIver's defense team successfully argued to the appellate courts that the jury was improperly instructed when it came to considering the lesser charge of involuntary manslaughter during the deliberation process. Well, McIver's now 81 and contends that the shooting was accidental, but the prosecutors say that the motive was the money. The McIvers were each successful in their own right and had always kept their finances separate. McIver, however, had reportedly been living far beyond his means, particularly in light of the fact that he had recently ended his law partnership. McIver is currently being held without bond in the Fulton County Jail. He has to be released pending trial, citing some medical care needs and uh, wanted to get proper care for that prior to a trial, as well as be able to assist his attorneys to prepare. But the judge said denied due to the fact that he has a felony conviction for trying to influence a witness at the first trial. That'll do it. And the judge noted in his order, quote, the temptation to abandon this replay of the drama of his wife's shooting's death is simply too great. Well, that just simply means you're a flight risk. We'll let you know how that trial comes out again. Anyway, it's God's will. So a California pastor allegedly told a teenager girl that it was God's will that they, in the uh, paraphrasing of the San Francisco uh, police have stated, have sex. Now, Victor Manuel Hernandez Pineda was booked Friday without bail at the uh, Martinez Detention Facility, and uh, he serves as pastor to the Iglesia Pentecostes Movienta de Gloria in the Bay Area city of Richmond. Now, Pablo Cifuentes, a church elder, stated uh, that they filed a police report after his daughter, Karen, told him and her mother that Hernandez Pineda sexually abused her when she was 13 years old. She said that the pastor convinced her it was God's will that they have sex. The young lady stated, he took me to a hotel near the school at the uh, moment I told him that I didn't feel safe. The young lady is now 21 and stated, uh, I didn't feel good and that we shouldn't do it and he made me do it. This abuse allegedly happened about five times over three years, according to the victim, and Hernandez Pineda uh, would allegedly pose as a family member to take the young girl out of school and take her to the hotel. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I don't know what to say, other than it's God's will, I guess. I don't know. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Um, and and th- that's just wrong. 
and obviously we'll give the good pastor the presumption of innocence, but if it is in fact true, if he pleads guilty or is convicted by a court of his peers, just wrong in the fact that he used a position of trust and authority in which to get away with it for so long, yeah, he needs to get the maximum sentence. Just my humble opinion. Next, quit your job and get arrested. So a Florida man was arrested in North Carolina for quitting his job as a privately employed jailer while he was driving a cargo van full of prison inmates, according to the uh, state police. So what apparently started as a bad day is now compounded by several criminal charges with substantial potential jail time. So Josh James Pinquet, he's only 21 years old, and he's from Orlando. And he is accused of five felony counts of kidnapping in the second degree and one felony count of larceny by servants or other employees, according to the sheriff's office there in North Carolina. So it is alleged on November 28th in the middle of the morning at around uh, 9, deputies received a call to be on the lookout for an inmate transport van headed along Interstate Highway 40. This would have been near Statesville, North Carolina, a, uh, which is apparently a small, medium-sized city, roughly 40 miles due north of Charlotte, and considered to be part of the broader metropolitan area. Well, the caller was one of the owners of the inmate transport company and reported the driver was off course and refusing to return the van. Now, the uh, driver was identified, as I said, as Joshua James Pinquet, and uh, reportedly had four inmates in the locked cargo area of the van. Now, the, uh, the owner of the company became aware of the unanticipated detour because another employee was traveling along with the driver and the inmates. Well, the second employee texted the owner about the issue with the uh, co-worker. Uh, Pinquet is alleged to then have told the owner that he was quitting his job in the middle of the trip and refusing to stop at the intended destination with the prisoners in the back. Well, needless to say, the uh, sheriffs uh, ultimately caught up with the van, stopped it along uh, Interstate 40, and uh, both employees were detained and the inmates were secured. Uh, Pinquette was arrested the same day and charged with one count of kidnapping for each inmate and the other employee. Some people, I mean, we don't... You just quit. You've had one of those days. You're done. You're out. But when you have people in the back that you're responsible for, you can't do that. It's kind of like that pilot that took all the mushrooms. It's like, I'm, you know, freaks out. What if you'd actually been flying? Like, I'm not going to fly anymore. He just exits. You can't do that. Can't do that. So I don't know what the reason why his bad day was, but he should have known better. Poor judgment. Now, is it worth a felony conviction? Probably not. But, you know, you can't just do that. And next, our dumb criminal of the day. Shocking. Can you believe it? More food crime. A judge has ordered a Florida man to have no contact with his wife following his arrest for allegedly striking her in the face with a sausage. All right, get your minds out of the gutter, ladies and gentlemen. So during this verbal altercation Saturday afternoon, Ray Allen, who's 61, allegedly threw the sausage, presumably pork, at his spouse. The uh, said sausage struck the 64-year-old victim on the right cheek, right side of her face, according to the arrest affidavit, unclear whether she actually felt pain. Well, needless to say, EMS workers responded to the couple's home in St. Petersburg 
and they washed the victim's eye out with saline solution from the sausage. Well, needless to say, Mr. Allen was arrested for domestic battery and booked into the county jail, and he was released from custody on his own uh, recognizance bond. He's pled not guilty, and he has to appear back in court for further proceedings in the near future. And of course, he cannot go home because, you know, once you assault your wife with a sausage once, you're going to do it again. It's a gateway crime. Next thing you know, you're strangling her. You just got to stop it. Now, not surprisingly, the police did indicate that alcohol may have been a factor at a 2.50 in the afternoon confrontation. Uh, the Sasha's link uh, to the battery was not seized. So I can see the defense has an avenue here to say that there was no sausage because you, in fact, destroyed the sausage. Hopefully the prosecutors or the police uh, properly uh, photographed the sausage uh, because obviously it would spoil, and if you take it in, you spoil it. You're going to be, you're going to have to pay the defendant the price of the sausage if it's not in the same condition as when they seized it. If they have to give it back, big, big mess. But as long as those officers can say that it was a fair and accurate representation of how the sausage appeared on the date of the incident, they should be okay. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.